Welcome to Flower Hour. A podcast completely dedicated to baking. I'm Amanda in Los Angeles. And I'm Jeremiah in Sacramento. This episode is dedicated to Brian Hart Hoffman's grandfather, who passed away shortly after we recorded this interview. You'll hear more about him later in the episode when we ask Brian about what his favorite Southern cookies are. Last week was the pie episode, and before we talk about all things cookies, Amanda, how was your Thanksgiving? Well, do you want to hear something really terrible? It's like there's <laughs> confession moment right here. We did have pie on Thanksgiving and I did not make it. What? <laughs> I know. So Thanksgiving was kind of weird this year. My husband was working and then he was able to be with us. He flew in and he was in the area. So we got to see him for a few hours. But also my mom flew in from Atlanta to visit with us. And so since I kind of had people coming and going and I was doing trips to the airport and back, we kept it really simple. So I ordered a pie from my friend Rose. She makes the most amazing apple pie that she puts her own homemade hot sauce in. So it's the spicy apple pie topped with oh my crumble. This crumble is like a little salty. The crust is whole grain and she uses only the top notch stuff. This is Rose Lawrence, by the way, just a little shout out for my bud. She's on Instagram. Find her. Everything is delicious. She's amazing. She has affection for Funfetti, just like me. So uh, it's a fun feed. Anyway, we had her apple pie. And then the thing that I did make is I made a loaf of bread that has all the flavors of stuffing. So then we sliced up this bread that tastes like stuffing, toasted it, and put turkey in between the bread and, and made like turkey sandwiches with gravy and cranberry sauce. So we kind of had Thanksgiving on Thanksgiving, but we kind of didn't. And I did not make pie. I feel like really bad about that. Okay. Redeem us, Jeremiah. What did you make? I'm sure you made like 30 pies, right? (laughs) I just have to say though, that's so fun because so often I think as bakers, maybe I'm just speaking for myself as I actually rarely buy things from bakeries unless it's like I'm making a really conscious decision. I'm going to this bakery to visit and try their things. But I'm, I'm always like, I'm gonna, I have so much stuff in my own home. I feel like I need to make it. So to actually try someone else's pie sounds like such a fun idea. I think that's great. And to support, support each other is wonderful. It's so fun. It feels a little wild. It feels a little naughty. And I trust Rose. So I knew this is the thing. Yeah. Let's get real, real. When you bake so much, the last thing you want to do is try somebody else's bake and go, I could have made that and I would have enjoyed it so much more. And I knew I wouldn't feel that way with Rose's pie. I knew it was going to be awesome. And the hot sauce sounds so wild. I've got to try that, but I think I need to try hers first before I attempt it. You must. Okay. Next time you come, we'll have a pie making party (laughs) with Rose maybe. Yes. That's a great idea. All right. So I have to know, (laughs) what did you make? What did you do? What was your Thanksgiving like? It was wonderful. So we always have multiple Thanksgivings to go to because I have two branches of my family here and they're both pretty large. And then we always do a Friendsgiving. So Wednesday night was a Friendsgiving. And then Thursday 
was two Thanksgivings, a lunch and a dinner. It was so much fun. And I really thought I wasn't going to make much pie um, because usually my job is to bring sourdough bread, which I'm always really happy to do. And I fire up the wood burning oven and it's a lot of fun. Um, But I knew I should do something for Friendsgiving because none of my friends will do dessert. I mean, I think they will, but they're like, they don't really want to. You're the dessert (laughs) man. That's your job. Exactly. Did you host? Was it at your place? Yeah. Yeah. Which is a lot of fun. We love hosting and we, yeah, we played card cards against humanity and it was just a wild time. <laughs> so fun. So I made, uh, and then on for Thursday, my aunt was who hosts was saying she was going to do a slab apple pie and she lists off like 50 other things she was going to make. And I was like, I will take the pie off your hands. Everyone needs to take something off your hands. You have a lot going on. So then I was like, well, if I'm going to make an apple pie and I was like, I wasn't really feeling the slab situation. Cause I thought that's kind of like two pies. Why don't I do one normal size apple pie and then something else? Cause you know, if I'm going to be in the kitchen, not doing pie, I want to try a few different options. Um, so I made a mandarin meringue pie because as you guys probably know, my family grows mandarins and I thought that was a fun way to just change up lemon meringue and it was really, really good. And one of them I did with a honey meringue, which was fun, but it was on a really, really rainy day. Um, Wednesday was very rainy for us. And so the meringue just didn't hold up like I would have liked. And I just didn't want to take any chances for the next mandarin meringue. I made two, by the way. So the second one, I just did a classic Swiss meringue, and that held up much, much, much better. Um, and then I did... I'm jumping in, because yeah. I know you were debating on putting something herbal in there. Yeah. Did you go that route? Did you not? You stuck with just honey? I just stuck with honey. I had this lovely idea. Well, I think it's it sounds really poetic in my mind, bay leaf meringue. And I think I still will play around with that at some point. But... I just felt like I didn't have enough time to make sure that it would be okay. And um, yeah, I just went, I just went conservative, but I think it's, it would be fun to infuse the meringue with an herb and paired with citrus. Just honey meringue and mandarin pie conservative, not totally conservative. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Conservative for Jeremiah. (laughs) I hope you do the bay leaf though. Cause I'm really like, I haven't seen that out there. I love something new and different and fresh like that. And it's not something I've heard of. So I'd love to, I want you to research that further, please. Yeah, totally. And I think we have a bay leaf tree in the backyard and the fresh ones are just so beautiful. They're, they're just, they're so fragrant. And I think that kind of floral quality could, that floral quality could add a really fun edge to a sweet meringue. And then the last pie, no, there's more pies. There's pies everywhere. So the other, the apple pie I did was this cinnamon swirl apple pie, which I saw on Flower Hour alum Jen Yee's feed. And it was a Martha Stewart recipe, which she adapted. So I adapted in the same way where you take your top crust, you spread it with cinnamon, brown sugar, butter, roll it into a log, and then you slice the the spirals and lay that all on top of the pie. And that was awesome. Really, really awesome. I was... Yeah, but everyone was was really excited about that pie, and I served it with some homemade caramel, which is which is always a good thing. Sounds fan- fantastic. I'm like getting pie hungry all over again. Also, you know how Southern Fatty told us about Kenji's, the food lab, Serious Eats, his pastry recipe. Yes, I made it. It's the food processor one, which I know we're all 
not fans of the food processor, but I thought, well, I want to try it because Southern Fatty likes it. I, I'm pretty sure I will like it. And it was amazing. Amazing. Slightly less flaky than if you did it by your, by, by hand, but handling it was a dream. It barely shrank at all. And I made it in these really tall tart, tart tins. Um, oh my gosh, I'm a huge fan of that pastry. And I think I'm going to use it when I, I think that's the best one to do some of all that kind of fancy artistic stuff. Ooh, that's good to know. Okay. So shout out for that recipe once again, if you're hearing it twice, it must be good guys. So yes. And then the last pie I made was a pecan pie and I made it in the style of my Portuguese almond tart, which I did a bake along last week or a couple weeks ago. And that turned out really well as well. Pie Palooza 2018. It's in the books guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what else is going on? What, What are you gonna be baking this week? Um, what am I baking this week? Well, I have, you know, it's cookie episode. So I'm going to make a cookie recipe from the bake from scratch cookie issue that we're about to talk a lot about. So I'm going to make salted caramel snickerdoodles, which I think mind meld, right? You and I, we often pick when we have like a baking task, especially for flower hour, we like to make something that kind of makes sense with the episode. I feel like nine times out of 10, we want to make the same thing, right? (laughs) We made the olive oil cookies as well from Rebecca Firth. And yes, we're both making these amazing, amazing looking salted caramel snickerdoodles. By Erin, who's going to be on today. Um, So yeah, so that's what I'm baking. And then I did, we did kind of a, a weird, I'll just say weird Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving. So I just did a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of baking. I made key lime pie pavlovas. I made, I called them snickerdoodle rice crispy treats, but really all I did was add cinnamon and a pinch of salt and extra marshmallows. Yum. And also what else did I make? I should be able to remember. Oh, chocolate cake with maple caramel frosting. So good. I know that sounds like a weird combo, but you guys, it was a hit. What a good idea. I just feel like why not shake up that caramel sauce as much as you can. Like if you have something kind of basic, I always want something a little special. I don't want everything to be too far out there. I think I'm more conservative than you. Like I like to pull back on one thing and then go a little out of the box with something else. So I'm like chocolate cake is such a, such a standard for us. I wanted to make the caramel a little extra, but not too bananas. So that's why I did the maple. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really good. Yes, yeah, so that's what I was baking. What about you? What do you have um, coming up this week? Well, I wanted to talk about this Louise cake I made. So I harvested on Thanksgiving a fruit called feijoa. And it's this cool tropical fruit that you hard I never see. I never saw until my aunt was like, oh, I have this. We have this crazy fruit in our orchard and I've like never heard of it, never seen it. It's very floral. Not everyone loves it. The out the outer skin can be kind of bitter, but once you get to the center, it's like like eating flowers in a oh, very wow. sweet, fruity way. Say the name again just so I can learn it. Yeah. It's called Feijoa. Feijoa. Okay. Feijoa, Feijoa. So I think they're really unique and every time around Thanksgiving I try to go get some. And they, the way that they're ripe is they just fall off the tree, which is easy. You just bend over and pick them all up, which, which is fun. Um, so I wanted to make something with them. I've made, my friend has made ice cream. I've infused them into vodka, which is really good. Um, but I wanted to bake with them. So I went to an Otto Lange book, his newest, newest book, Sweet, with Helen Go. 
and I found this cake called a Louise cake, and it's from New Zealand, I believe, which is perfect since Aaron, our guest today, is from New Zealand. And it's a layer of really rich cake, and usually the plums or some some sort of stone fruit, and then on top is meringue that's been studded with almonds, and that's all baked together. So, but first you bake the cake, then you put on the fruit. Then you put on the meringue and then you bake it again. So it's a sort of twice baked cake. Kind of like a short, except you bake it separately and together, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I just switched out the stone fruit for the feijoa and it was amazing and such a beautiful cake to have like cake, this kind of oozy layer of fruit, and then all this beautiful toasted meringue on top. It's a brilliant cake, a really brilliant cake. And I can't wait to try it with other fruits in the summer that are really juicy and that will soak into the cake. So I highly recommend that um, that recipe. So interestingly enough, I have a really great tip, and I'm not sure if everyone knows this. Maybe I'm just late to the party. But the book Sweet has a lot of errors. And my friend was over and said, did you know that there's a whole huge list of errors on their website? And also that potentially they'll send you a new book because when they were converting it for the American market, a lot of things, temperatures and such didn't get translated correctly. So I feel like this is a perfect place because we're all bakers and we probably have this book. I'll put in our show notes the link that I have to all these temperature discrepancies because the recipe I made definitely had timing errors and oven temperature errors. And then a link that I haven't, I still need to email about getting a new copy of the book. So I know that's a really been a popular book, and if you're baking out of it and have had trouble, it might not be your fault. Oh my gosh, I have this book, and I have not heard this. So if you're late to the party, I'm I'm fashionably late with you. So <laughs> this is great info. Yeah, please put that link for us. Okay, good. We have to help each other. Bakers unite, as Selassie says. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's pie. That's Thanksgiving tied up in a nice little bow. We'll see you next year, Thanksgiving. And now on to cookies, right? It's cookie season. I'm so excited. I've never been more excited about cookies than this year. I got a text invite to a cookie swap just this very morning. So oh. it's like, it's go time. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect because you know we're going to talk about cookie parties in this episode. It's a great episode. Cookies are fun. You love cookies. I love cookies. They're fun, right? And they, I think they've gotten even more fun and more creative since this whole baking community has really started shining. Started shining? It's always been shining. <laughs> anyway, so our guest today, we have a return guest, is Brian Hart Hoffman. So if you haven't heard his episode from season one, it's awesome. He's the editor-in-chief of Bake From Scratch magazine aka the bake feed on Instagram. He's always super fun to chat with. And then we have a new guest. We haven't had her voice on here before, right, Jeremiah? Right. So we have Erin from Cloudy Kitchen. She's originally from New Zealand, as we said, and she lives in Brooklyn. And she's a blogger, influencer. She's also a cat rescuer. I love her stories with her cats. And she's just an amazing, amazing baker and has so much expertise to offer. Aaron and Brian, welcome to Flower Hour. Thank you. And welcome back to Brian and big welcome to Aaron. We're so excited about this cookie episode with you guys. We are too. And I was so excited to be invited back. <laughs> well, before we get to you, Brian, Aaron, tell us all about yourself 
basically, we really want to know how you started baking, though. Um, so I'm originally from New Zealand. I moved to New York four years ago. Um, I trained as a geologist, and I was actually working on an oil rig before I moved over to be with my now husband. Um, we started a design company, and um, he's a designer by trade. I am not, and so I was doing all the like communications and stuff. I still do, but um, I found moving to the city really difficult like I didn't know anyone um we only really had Rich's friends and so I kind of started like making um baking from home to kind of help combat that homesickness a little bit and I used to um I used to just kind of put photos on our studio Instagram page because it had more followers and eventually Rich was like you've got to start your own thing so I started my own Instagram page and from there um that's where the blog came along. But um, I originally learned to bake from my grandmother. We used to go and stay with her every summer and that she taught me. I love the grandmothers who teach us to bake. I think it's so yep. sweet too. grandmother that, uh, taught. I think it's so sweet too that uh, it kind of like made you feel a little bit more cozy because baking definitely does that for a lot of people, something very relatable. Yeah, there was something about like, having something that was mine, you know, I was, we were working in a design business that was, um, you know, Rich's thing that he's so amazing at, and I didn't have anything that, that felt like my little project. And so it was so nice to have something that kind of turned itself into, into my thing. Very cool. You carved out your spot and what a spot you've carved out. I love following you on Instagram and I think you have such a unique voice on there. Your sense of humor really comes through and, I like the cats that you sprinkle in as well. It's fun to see a little bit of like personal life blended with the baking. So I'm glad that you made that separate page and that we get to follow along. Yeah, the cats, that's become another thing that's really like helped me um, settle into New York. I guess like having something to sort of look after, like you take in these little sick cats and you get to see them get better and grow and, and find amazing homes. So it's really nice to have something that like depends on me as well, aside from my husband. <laughs> now, Brian, we got to catch up with you. So it's been, has it been a year? Has it been a year since we talked to you? Probably almost a year. Yeah, I think it's been, yeah, almost a year, maybe nine months or so, but time flies in our world. So yeah, we'd love so, yeah. to know, like, what have you been up to? We kind of, I mean, obviously we, we follow slash stalk on Instagram, but uh, give our listeners a taste of what you've been up to for the last year. Well, the last year, I would say Bake From Scratch and the Bake Feed have just continued to grow and, um, you know, deepen our connection to the baking community. Uh, from day one, it was always intended for Bake From Scratch and the Bake Feed to be a global baking community that represents all people, all different cultures, all stories of why baking is important to family members and culture and just the, the connections we share because of it. And we are really just continuing to reach deeper and deeper into that space in addition to creating, you know, amazing recipes and, and content that, you know, that we think people want to hear about. We have had such an expanded dialogue with people and we're, you know, just trying to to continue to spread the love of baking all over the world. 
<laughs> I think you guys are totally killing it. I, every time I go on my Instagram, I'm like, how do they put out so much delicious stuff every single time? Like, it doesn't matter what pops up. I'm like, I want that. I want to make that. So at least for my spot, you guys are making it happen. Well, thank you. And all the recipes come in grams. You know how we feel about grams, Amanda? <laughs> Woohoo! Yes. Oh, <laughs> Aaron so and I have happy. like... I had so many behind the scenes. Uh, I don't know what, what, what should we call it? Grape fest or something like about. rage messaging. Yes. Rage messaging. <laughs> That's perfect <laughs> about grams and our love of them and disdain for cups and volume. So yeah, having the grams in the recipes continue to allow our recipes to be globally executed again, like keeping that messaging of like everybody can bake if you have a gram scale and you don't need to have the, the measuring cups and everything and convert it into the U S standard or out of that, I think, you know, we, we encourage everyone to have the scale in their kitchen and bake by weight. You'll have better success. We promise. Agreed. That's my worst part of recipe writing is having to convert the grams into volume. I just, I hate that part. I just aggressively enforce them. Yeah, Aaron's like, you're going to bake my gram weight. That's it. I don't. Sometimes if I've tested a recipe in grams on my, like, oh, I refuse to convert it on my blog because I say, I always put a little note that's like, I tested this in grams, so I'm not going to give you a less accurate version for you to mess up, you know? I love Same it. Here. Yeah. I, I, when I changed my site to my new one, I took all the cup measurements that I had put on old recipes away. Cause I was like, that's not the way I'm making it. I can't vouch for it. And now when people ask about, you know, can I get this in volume? I'll send them a link to a scale on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I often say to people, you're better off spending $10 on a scale than wasting $10 ingredients by not making the recipe properly. It's so true. So true. Well, we're here for holiday cookies, and I thought it'd be fun to do a ghost of holiday cookies, past, present, and future. So first, I want you both to tell us about the holiday cookies you grew up eating, and then the cookies you have now, and tell us about the cookies you'll be making this year or in the future. Um, That's so funny you say that, because this morning, as I was preparing for this uh, podcast interview, I dug into my memory bank about the cookies that I grew up eating. And I have two very distinct, uh, two cookies that are on the family table every year at my grandparents' house. And they have been from the time that I was a child. My grandfather makes um, fruit cake cookies and he takes the Claxton's fruitcake. I don't know if it's only available in the South or, or larger distribution, but um, he takes the, the fruitcake and a spice cake mix and two or three other ingredients and makes uh, these fruitcake cookies that are um, delicious and uniquely something I remember from him baking those when I was a child. And then my grandmother makes um, like uh, like sugar cookies with a royal icing and different shapes and Christmas trees and stockings and things like that. And she fills this 
uh, glass canister that she's had the same glass canister my entire life. And the only time of the year you see it is at Christmas. And those are the two cookies that I, I, we still bake them in our family. I go to my grandparents' house every year and I spend a day in the kitchen with them baking these cookies. So they're still something that are a part of our every um, holiday gathering with our family. And, you know, this year I've been on the big chocolate chip cookie craze with everyone else. I think it has like taken the the global baking community by storm. Um, we like to think that we started it. Yeah, right. Erin and I started it with our FOMO cookies, but I think they've also been just like, I don't know, it's resonated with so many bakers and I think I've tried them all. I've tried to bake um, so many different iterations of the chocolate chip cookie. I have a particular affinity for Sarah Kiefer's pan banging. I just, I love the therapy of like actually banging a pan in the oven while I'm baking. And I love the flavor and the texture and the size. They are massive. They're like the size of a, a dessert plate. So I love that. Um, and then what am I going to be baking this holiday? I, I have an obsession with, uh, gingerbread. I love anything with molasses. I'm always looking for different ways to bake uh, different iterations of gingerbread in the holiday time. So I am probably going to be cranking out some uh, gingerbread cookies in mass this holiday season. All right, Erin, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> oh, uh, our season's around the other way in New Zealand, so uh, it's, it's hot at Christmas time. We're in the holiday season. Um, and so my Christmas was always spent at the beach. We always went and stayed with my grandparents for the summer. Um, my sister and I are the youngest of 18 cousins. So we're the babies by like a long way. And so we always got spoiled by our grandparents. So we went and lived with them uh, over the summer, and which is where I learned to bake. And my grandmother always used to make her her grandma's shortbread and that was to me that's like that's christmas for me or it's like it's my grandmother's recipe um and so for, for us like the shortbread is is christmas time for us the thing that i've been baking at the moment like brian and i have just been on this like fomo cookie thing so like it becomes this game of like i'm making these cookies you should make them too and then we'll both post both post them at the same time <laughs> um so a lot of chocolate chip cookies I spent a long time like developing my chocolate chip cookie, which is just not one in my house. Wanted to eat another chocolate chip cookie. It's one so time. good though. It's so good. A lot of cookie sandwiches this year, like ice cream sandwiches. I love ice cream sandwiches with a cookie. I did like a brown butter streusel situation with like a frozen yogurt. I've done like Sarah Keeper's chocolate sugar cookies. If you haven't made those, you haven't lived. I did them with like an Earl Grey ice cream, which is really good. Um, I guess I've been making more cookies this year than any other year same for me i feel like it's been my year of the cookie yeah. i might move on to something else in 2019 I know. What can make it's definitely been inspiring to watch yeah i guess we just go for it and then we're like we're gonna break the internet <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah because i i first called sarah keith's cookies like fomo cookies and from then on we were like let's make all the fomo cookies like the ones that you know like the fear of missing out that the internet is making so there was like allison roman's um, who else? Sarah Kiefer. There's a bunch, right? Yeah, we made some Rebecca First cookies. Oh, we, yeah. yeah. 
we just we keep it going. I liked the ones you guys were doing at Easter too. I know it's like a different holiday, but those were so beautiful with the little oh, pastel yes. speckles. Oh, yeah, the ones with the mini eggs. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. The I am obsessed with those Cadbury oh. mini eggs at Easter time. And we wanted to incorporate them into as many recipes as possible. But the chocolate cookie oh. with the mini eggs in it, it is like definitely addictive. Like so an addiction, good. absolutely. So many people made those as well. Yeah, yeah, that did help break the internet. Yeah. So. yeah. Now I'm thinking we need some kind of like holiday cookie version of that, like some kind of like I know there's not Christmas eggs, but some version because I think they were so such a hit that speckled with like Christmas colors or I yeah, don't know, sounds really they would no. Yeah, you're on to something there, Amanda. Let's do it. Well, there's all your, that one together. There's the next FOMO cookie. We're we're all assigned. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas cookie. I I think I don't know. I don't want to like blow my own trumpet too much, but I made I developed a um, salted caramel snickerdoodle for the holiday issue, and it's it's pretty good. I think you guys should try that one. Yeah, that one is an amazing cookie. I was just staring at that recipe before we got on the call, and I was like, I gotta yeah, I gotta try that. I grew up with snickerdoodles, <laughs> and that sounds really good. Yeah, it was inspired by a. Um, a, a cookie in my hometown, uh, in the town that we went to university in, which is like as big as your face and has these chunks of caramel in it. Um, so I like made a hard caramel and then ground it and creamed it in with the butter and sugar. And then you fold through like some more of the hard caramel, which goes all chewy and, and then it's rolled in cinnamon sugar and so good. All right. I'm making them today. <laughs> you should do it. Yeah. I like the way you're thinking. Cookie Friday. Cookie Friday. I like it. Oh, I have to circle back really fast to this fruitcake cookie too, because I'm just sitting here still thinking about it. Brian, the fruitcake cookie that you mentioned. So you use baked fruitcake, like it's already made, and then you make the mix and then the cookie is baked again, or are they like no-bake cookies? No, you do bake them. So you take, it's like a, um, like a, you buy the, the fruitcake in the grocery store. And you're from the South, Amanda. You should know about this, Claxton's Fruitcake. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's um, the brand. Like, that's the one you yeah, get. Yeah, so it's like yeah. in a square, it's like a square log of fruitcake, and you break it up into pieces with the spice cake mix, and you chop some toasted pecans, you add um, oil, eggs. I mean, you make a cookie dough out of all of those ingredients and then you scoop them um, into round cookie dough balls and then when you bake them they they crisp up beautifully but they stay nice and uh, soft on the inside they're really good are they like cakey yeah they're cakey oh. and you've got the the chunks of the broken down fruit cake in it yeah. so um, yeah it's really nice I'll send you a ten of those Amanda. Oh, I would love that. I'll, I'll be sure to gobble them up. It just sounds like a flavor bomb. Like they sound so good. Yeah, it really is good. So we posted that we were having you guys on and we have a lot of people who want to know a lot of stuff from you guys. Um, the first question is from Green Apron and they say, any tips for making cookies or dough ahead and freezing the cookies or the dough? I want to make several varieties for gifts. Yes, this is my, this is. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am, I am queen of the freezables. So I, 
I make it and then scoop it and roll them out and then you kind of put like line them all up on the tray and you freeze them solids and then you just throw them in a Ziploc bag. Yeah, and the key to that is making sure you scoop them, freeze them on the tray before they go into any sealed container so that you don't develop the frostbite and the extra moisture that gets trapped in when you don't freeze them solid prior to putting them in a container. But you should absolutely do things like that to make uh, cookie baking so much easier and less stressful during the holiday time. And then I bring them out of the freezer. I don't know if you do the same thing, Aaron, but I bring them out of the freezer and let them sit for about 10 minutes before I put them in the oven just to get a little bit of the hard freeze off. But then I add a few minutes to the bake time and they should bake perfectly. Another thing that you can do is with like a rollout cookie. Um, So like if you're making like a shortbread or a Linza cookie or like a chocolate shortbread or anything like that is you can um, roll it out between two pieces of parchment and then freeze it and then you're ready to, then it's good to go. And like I really like recipes. I, I do this a lot in my recipes because I struggle with the New York heat and humidity is um, roll out cookies that you freeze and then you cut frozen. And I find yeah. you get such a sharp edge cutting the frozen dough as opposed to like, you know, having to work with soggy dough that's going to go floppy and you're going to lose pieces. If you just like throw it back in the freezer until it's solid and then you use a sharp cookie cutter, your edges are going to be so sharp and also they're going to hold their shape better in the oven. Mine is blown. That's excellent. An excellent tip. Next, Southern Fatty would like to know... I want to know your favorite Southern cookie, Brian. Oh, I I hate to be repetitive about the favorite Southern cookie, but I think my grandfather's fruitcake cookie. Um, But if I were going to choose my next favorite Southern cookie, I would have to say something with a lot of pecan in it. I think about Southern ingredients that I love and pecan is definitely on the radar. So maybe any iteration of a cookie with just chunks of pecan and, you know, maybe caramel or pecan and gingerbread or something. Like, absolutely. I'll have to work on that. I'll come up with that next favorite Southern cookie. Pecan sandies. Make me a pecan sandy and I'm good. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that does sound so good. Maybe with the caramel, like you said. (laughs) Pecan, pecan. What do you say, Brian? Pecan or pecan? Oh, I say pecan. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Okay. So K-Z-O-O-G-R-R would like to know uh, specific cookie recipes that freeze well. I know we kind of talked about like how to freeze them, but are there any that you guys have as a go-to? And then also they'd like to know about chocolate spritz cookie recipes that are not dry. Mm, I'm not, I've never made spritz cookies before because we don't have them in New Zealand. Um, but in our holiday cookie issue of the bake of bake from scratch, um, I have I made like a shortbread recipe, which is one of those roll out and freeze, um, and it's like a shortbread with a homemade like raspberry cook jam, and then there's also a um, I call them pinky bar cookies. They're like named after a chocolate bar that my grandfather used to give me at Christmas time, and that's the same like roll out. Um, roll out dough and then chocolate chip cookies are always a winner to, to freeze ahead. And then to answer their question about a chocolate cookie that's not dry. I first I'll say, amen. I agree with that. I don't like a dry chocolate cookie at all. 
Um, but Ed Kember contributed a chocolate peppermint crinkle cookie to the holiday cookie issue. And it is a refrigerated dough that's in the refrigerator for one hour. And then you scoop um, and roll the, the scooped cookie dough balls in confectioner sugar or powdered sugar. And you bake them. Um, they only bake for 11 to 12 minutes. And they stay really soft on the inside with a beautiful, not, I don't want to even say crispy, but they have a beautiful, like, uh, texture with the powdered sugar, the way it solidifies, but then spreads and crinkles in the oven. So that cookie is a chocolate cookie. I would say you're not going to be disappointed. It's perfect for holiday flavors with chocolate and peppermint, and it's not dry. Excellent. Dan Creates is looking for a good basic sugar cookie recipe that's good for decorating. The one he's used to use tend to be shortbread style, and they're too hard and dense. Let me. I. I don't. I did an Earl Grey one. You could just ditch the Earl Grey. For the I was going to say if you substitute some ingredients that you love, um, Aaron's Earl Grey rollout cookies are amazing. Um, Joshua Weissman contributed a salted vanilla bean sugar cookie to the issue as well, and it's really, really nice. The salt in there, I love salt in any cookie, so you've got me hooked at that, but um, that's another really good one. Okay, so next one is from Bonamoon. And they would like to know what's the best way to ship cookies to family across the country without them getting stale. So I definitely want to hear from Brian since you're sending me fruitcake cookies. And (laughs) (laughs) also, don't think I'm going to forget. And then also, uh, or maybe, do you have a favorite cookie or type of cookie that holds up longer than others when shipping? I love to send s'mores kits in the mail. Like you make the graham crackers, you make the marshmallows, and then you put in some chocolate and you you strip it all separately and then they assemble themselves. Um, I've had really good success with sending those cross country. That's so fun. I love that. Adorable. Yeah. My advice for shipping cookies, A, if you do not want a cookie to go stale, um, I always say don't skimp on the shipping and I would definitely use at least the priority mail packages that are guaranteed, at least in the United States and our postal system within three days. I think if you use just general postage shipping, you can have delays that obviously can add too much time to the shipping process. So that would be my number one recommendation. And then also choose a cookie that's pretty sturdy. I mean, I always would say a smaller cookie, so something maybe a two-inch round cookie that's not prone to breaking, you know, nothing too crumbly or dry because by the time it gets handled in any amount of time, it's going to, it's going to arrive in crumbles. And not that it won't be delicious, but the presentation won't be what, um, what people are looking for. So a sturdy but not too crumbly cookie. Um, I will say, you know, without totally uh, shameless self-promotion in the holiday cookie issue we mark recipes with a little icon that looks like a little uh, delivery truck so that readers can easily see the cookies that we assess to be the the best 
for shipping the ones that will hold up in the process. So um, we have some vanilla chai pinwheel cookies that are great for shipping. Um, any of like the chocolate chip cookies or like I said, the slice and bake, like two inch round cookies do really, really well in shipping. And then just making sure you're using, you know, nice padding and good wrapping so that you're taking care to minimize any impact from, uh, you know, a shipping, <laughs> a shipping process that's less than careful with your package. You've probably already marked as fragile. Um, but I would say the biggest thing is to use like a priority mail or something to ensure a faster delivery time. I think these are all great tips. So I'm sure my fruitcake cookies will show up in perfect condition. (laughs) You know they will. (laughs) I want to say too that I've sent candy before. So if you're like really stressed about the timing, candy has such a nice long shelf life. I know that's kind of dodging the question, but I always like to send candy. And then I've had good success sending like Brian, you were saying a more compact cookie versus a really large one. Those little snowball cookies ship like a dream because they're covered in powdered sugar. They're snowballs. They kind of roll around and it's totally fine. So those are my... Yeah, I would just say manage expectations. Don't ship a, a cookie that you've cut out in the shape of a reindeer because all of those legs and antlers and tips and points, they are going to break in the shipping process. You're going to get an amputee right in. Yeah, yeah. I'm just imagining like horrified kids opening up this package with a bunch of headless reindeer and sad Santas. So yeah, don't do Absolutely, that. yeah. Don't, <laughs> let's not do that. Let's not do that. I also love the idea of sending like a jar of uh, maybe the dry ingredients with a little like instructions on how to make your own. So I've done them as gifts before. You like layer the ingredients for like a chocolate oatmeal cookie and then you just add a little thing that's like add margarine and eggs and then they can make their own. Oh, it's so sweet. All right. Did you say margarine? Yeah. (laughs) I meant butter. You meant butter. (laughs) Oh, God. Please. It's like, I'll edit that out. (laughs) Thank you. I meant butter. Yeah, but you just don't want to send anything filled, like nothing that's, if it's going to go soggy at your house, you don't have a chance of getting it there nicely in the mail. Yeah. Especially around Christmas. Shipping gets really slow. That's true. Emily A. Costello would want your recommendations for icing for decorating that actually has flavor and not just super sugary sweet. Mm, I would say royal icing. Um, I did a lemon one where I just replaced the water with lemon juice, and that was really nice. I did it on like an Earl Grey cookie. Um, do, they, do they mean like pipeable icing? They didn't suggest, so we can, you can answer however you like. I would, yeah, I think what you said, adding lemon or even like, like making a traditional, you know, royal icing and adding either zest of a citrus you love or extract. I think that's a, so that it's still, if it's royal icing we're talking about, you could still use it to decorate the the cookies and yeah. you get that nice pop of citrus or an extract that you want the flavor uh, to be noticed in the, in the cookies. The good thing about royal icing is that it's water-based. So if you wanted to like infuse the water with like tea or um, anything like that, or just straight out sub it out for something, you could sub it for like a fruit juice, anything like that. Um, and, and royal icing is so easy to play around with the consistency. So you can really just swap that water out for anything. Great tips. Okay. 
So Fatima D-U-M-I-T, I'm not quite sure how to read this, Fatima Dumit says, is there a base recipe? I love this question because it's very ambitious and I'm curious, curious what you guys will say. Is there a base recipe for butter cookies that I can turn into pistachio cookies and caramel cookies and chocolate chip cookies. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would go for like a shortbread recipe, right? Uh, yeah, I would do the same. I, I would say that is a great question for us to turn back to her. It sounds like she's very creative and wants to take something on in the kitchen. And I think the way most of us learn and get better in baking is, to try new things. And when you have ideas as strong as, as in the question, I would say take a shortbread or a butter cookie recipe that you've made a few times and you love working with and start playing with those flavor additions and mix-ins. And some may work and others may not. And, you know, I think trial and error are the best way to have fun and explore new things in the kitchen and definitely be aware of like the sugar like if she's gonna make it a chocolate chip cookie and a little bit of brown but also be aware with uh, aware as to like how that's gonna make it spread and there's all those little like sciencey things behind like rising agents and different sugars and all sorts of things like that I had a thought too, maybe work backwards, start with the chocolate chip cookie and then take out the chocolate. You could add shards of caramel or to take out the caramel and add pistachios instead of the chocolate. And then. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Just feel like a finer chocolate chip cookie you love and ditch the chocolate. And then like, yeah, the shards of caramel would be delicious. Yeah, that's a good idea. And always add salt. 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 Salt and good quality vanilla. Oh gosh, why is vanilla so expensive these days? Can we please? We actually found a brand that we love. It's a New Zealand yeah. company. Small pitch for it. Small New Zealand companies. Uh, it's called Hey Lala Vanilla. Um, uh-huh. It's grown in Tonga. They started the company. Um, I think it was in two thousand and. They're ten years old. Two thousand eight. Two thousand was it? 2000? Anyway, um, they so Tonga got like rolled by a cyclone, and uh, they saw a gap in the economy in which. They could inject money directly into the Tongan economy, especially through the employment of women. And so they planted um, a vanilla plantation and they hire, like, local people to work it. Uh, they, they harvest the beans in Tonga and then they dry them and transport them back to New Zealand and they process it there. And it's an amazing, like, family-run company. Their product is amazing. It's not impacted as much by, like, the Madagascar prices that everyone's been complaining about. Like, it's... It's incredible, and they're an incredible company, and they're run by amazing people, and Brian and I both love them. And their product line is actually so diverse. It's unlike anything I've seen from any other vanilla producer. They have vanilla powder, and they have alcohol-free vanilla extract that they call breakfast vanilla, so you can stir it in oatmeal or smoothies or things that you don't want any of that alcohol pungency in to be noticed in flavor. And then just apart from that, their beans and extract and paste that we all love and use frequently are amazing. So yeah, we love them. Thank you. I'm going to check them out. This is great. I love you the idea of powder. That's cool. Oh yeah. We ate at um, Gramercy Tavern yesterday and we were speaking to Miro. And so like he uses the same vanilla and it's really nice to know that like a high-end pastry chef uses the same that we're using in our house, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. 
Well, Rachel S. Wood wants to know how to make egg-free cookies that still have a depth of flavor. She's used egg substitutes before, and she still feels like she's missing a depth of flavor that only an egg yolk can lend to a cookie. Help! I would, I would just go for an egg-free cookie. So there are, there are a bunch around, like a shortbread cookie. They don't usually tend to have egg. Um, there's a bunch, but that goes back to good quality ingredients. So you need to be using good quality vanilla. If you've got chocolate, you need to be using good quality chocolate. Like make sure it's well balanced with the salt. Um, yeah, you can look for flavor definitely in other places through the quality of your ingredients, but also through um, just different flavor combinations. But something like a shortbread, like a, a dark chocolate shortbread would be perfect with like a really nice balance of salt and you can like fill it with marshmallow. It's delicious. Yeah. And the, just the use of extracts alone and other flavors to help hide the fact that you're missing that flavor that a lot of people get, you know, from the eggs and a lot of recipes, but with shortbread and mix-ins and extracts and things like that, uh, you can have an amazing cookie without eggs. I, I would say if, if they're trying to make recipes that traditionally call for eggs with egg substitute, you will notice the differences. And I would say just stay away from those and embrace the recipes that are created without egg um, in them. I mean, I think you just have to shift, you know, and find the flavors you're looking for in egg-free cookies. I totally agree. Have you baked anything with egg substitute, Jeremiah? I'm curious. This is just something I don't have experience with. No, I've always gone for recipes that don't include eggs instead of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Same, same. And then I don't know why it's just popping to my mind, but I'm going, if, if it's relying heavily on butter and you're just still wanting more and more and more, maybe try browning the butter or just like they said, play all the flavor aspects up as much as you can without the egg. So. And use good butter, like cultured butter, grass butter. That can really make a difference too. Absolutely. I am a huge advocate for using European style high fat butters because of the flavors, because of the quality and the way they, they make the baking. Again, you have such a better product when the butter quality is amazing. Amen. (laughs) And cocoa powder is the same. I feel like good quality cocoa powder doesn't get as much like love as it really should. People are like, my cookie doesn't taste as good. And you really do need to be using a good quality cocoa powder. Yeah. I appreciated your episode where you delved into, I know, black cocoa and all the different types, because it's something that I think a lot of bakers don't really understand the difference between natural Dutch and black and where to use what and how. And I think that's very, and I'm still so obsessed with black cocoa powder. Let me just continue to sing the praises <laughs> of it. <laughs> I think the thing that people don't realize as well is um, the process of dutching cocoa powder is actually alkalizing it. So right. you need to change the raising agent that you're using. Um, like uh, cocoa powder is like naturally acidic, which is why it works with baking soda. But if you, you can't switch them interchangeably because the Dutch powder has been alkalized, so it's not going to react with the soda to produce the rice. So you need to switch it out for powder. And a lot of people don't realize that. They need to know. And now they do. That's some good baking science. My science, my yeah. science degree like slides in every now and then. Yeah, here's the scientist amongst us. <laughs> <laughs> I personally hate rolling dough, so I don't love talking about it. <laughs> oh, I'm with you. I used to hate it and now I do it between two pieces of parchment paper and I use a rolling pin that has those like Oh the measuring guides on the end. Yeah. 
Yes, <laughs> you know, ma'am. Between two pieces of parchment paper, and then you freeze your dough. You can't go wrong. When when I shot the issue, when I shot uh, the the cover, um, the cover, the cover. Um, I we actually have no gas in our apartment. We have had we had no gas for three months. I did every single recipe aside from the macarons where I went to my friend's house in a toaster oven and like a convection oven. And so <laughs> wow. that's why so many of my recipes for that are the um, roll it up between two pieces of parchment and throw it in the freezer. So I was able to like cycle through in my tiny little oven. I did all the testing, all the shooting, everything in this tiny oven. It's been a workhorse. Um, and so I really found it so good to do the to have frozen cookie dough and be cutting from that. Cause you're not worrying about stuff sitting around and getting warm and you don't have to like keep cycling stuff back into the fridge. You just bang it in the freezer, ch- cut it out and throw it in the oven. And jumping on that too, what I'll do often is I will roll directly on a silpat with, you know, a piece of parchment on top. And that way I can cut the cookies on the silpat and I never have to move them. I just pull the excess dough away. So there's Oh, no yeah. oh that's genius. I'm yeah. going to totally copy you on that because my biggest pet peeve is moving yes. the cut cookie dough because I don't, I do, I love perfection and I don't want to mess up the shape of it. So you yeah. Got, you want to freeze your dough. If you freeze your dough, it comes out in the cookie cutter and then you just plop it on the tray. That's true. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we need to schedule some cookie workshops and all of this. We can do it together. Yeah. All right. Cool. What man will come? So one thing I have to make sure I hear from you guys is have you ever been to a cookie swap? Do you have any tips or horror stories that you'd love to share? Uh, Brian's probably a good person to answer this because we don't do cookie swaps in New Zealand and I've been to two and they've both been for the magazine. Yeah, so we, uh, yes, I have been to numerous cookie swaps, and they can be amazing, and they can be horrific all at the same time. I think the key to a successful cookie swap is keeping the size of the crowd at a manageable and more intimate level, where you're not asking people to bring 65 to 70 cookies to feed an army. You're asking people to bring a one batch. So maybe 12 to 24 cookies. And, um, they can obviously put more time and effort into the cookie they're bringing because they're not worried about turning their kitchen into a manufacturing zone of cookies for a party, which I think people tend to start not cutting corners, but I think they make more simplified cookies and then the cookie swap turns out to be a little less than spectacular. Um, I also had a friend um, plan a cookie swap and assigned people a flavor profile or an ingredient that they wanted them to use in the cookie they brought so that they ensured there were cookies with peppermint, there were butter cookies, there were, you know, ice and decorated. And I think it made the cookie swap so much more fun because of the diverse cookie varieties people were tasting and eating and sharing recipes with each other for instead of everyone showing up with a sugar cookie with, you know, sprinkles on top or something. That's a really smart idea to assign a flavor profile. I love that. And I'm a planner like that too. So I enjoy like if I'm going to host a party like that, which I will totally steal that idea because I want to make sure that 
obviously we get really good Instagram photos that we have uh, <laughs> diversity in the photos of the food. And then I think everyone also leaves with, you know, they're inspired because they've seen lots of different things brought to the the swap and good wine. I mean, come on, you're not just having a cookie swap to eat cookies. You're coming to hang out with people you love and you need to have some good wine, maybe even like a mulled wine or something that's very holiday, you know, reminiscent for a lot of people, or it's just something new for people to try. So make it a, make it a, a boozy uh, cookie swap. And then you've got me there for sure. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going if there's no alcohol, just hands down. Yeah. There's nothing, Amen, wrong, with, right? <laughs> nothing wrong with a spot of micromanaging <laughs> yeah. to make sure that it goes well. <laughs> We are bakers after all. We know how to micromanage. So the key is to micromanage and bring alcohol. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just like, let me organize it because otherwise I'm going to end up micromanaging you, but don't organize it. Well, I'd love to talk about too. Maybe we can end on this. The perfect cookie box, gift box. And I mean, the cover of this issue is perfection and so inspiring. I grew up with stories about my great grandmother doing cookie boxes with dried fruits and things. I've always had this this image in my mind of things I'd love to create and inspired by her. And then I saw your cover and I was like, that's, that's amazing. So tell us about the oh, cookie gift box. Um, so the first cookie box I did was last year. I don't know if you follow Amy from Constellation Inspiration. She did like the most beautiful cookie box, not last Christmas, but the one before. And I spent all year thinking about what I was going to make. Um, and so I ended up like just getting like an old, uh, I bought like a box from Michael's and I got Rich to like laser cut me the little wooden panels and I put it together and it was, it's so much fun. And you only need to make like one batch of everything uh, and you can make like five or six different cookie boxes. Um, but I think the, the important thing is just to like break up your workload, plan it out so that you've got a good variety. Like uh, for the cover, I did like a macaron, um, an Earl Grey sugar cookie, like a shortbread linzer a salted caramel um, snickerdoodle and then like a pinky bar. And then I did a rocky road, which is perfect for um, using up old ingredients so or extra ingredients. So um, rocky road is essentially just like tempered. You don't have to temper the chocolate, but I use tempered chocolate and then you just pour it over your ingredients. So you can add like oh, um, excess nuts. Like I use some leftover marshmallow that I had from making a different cookie. Like, all sorts of things. And I think it's important to like get one ingredient that kind of is cohesive throughout. So I went with a marshmallow, which could be used in a bunch of different things. And don't be afraid to like buy little treats to put in there as well. Like I, I love to add a sprinkle compartment to my cookie box because I think it's like really fun, but it's also super easy to do because you just pop them in there and it's done. It's stunning. It's stunning. And I, th- I have to tell you, the, I was most pleased when I opened this magazine and I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to tell you how to make a cookie box and like how you did it, where to shop for it. That was made me so happy because I'm always every year like, what am I going to put this stuff in? So thank you so much. You- yeah. Michael's is, I just got the box from Michael's and then you, you can make your, I just made my own dividers. And I think that's the best way of doing it as well as just, then you're not constrained to, um, certain sizes like you can make your own dividers and work out what's going to go where and to be honest you don't need dividers if you don't want to you could just nicely arrange everything within the box like i love to um use string like i tied up a bunch of cookies together um just like little elements so i added like peppermint sticks and all sorts of things just to add texture as well yeah i was gonna say i think the key is you know the one Aaron did is so beautiful and we had a lot of fun producing um the cookie box with her but you could even have just a three compartment cookie box and have 
three varieties of something you love or even one candy filled compartment and two cookies if a simpler approach is what you're going for but you still want the wow factor of presenting a cookie box or you make your own compartments like Aaron does and I love the sprinkles the two small compartments with the sprinkles because who doesn't love them at the holiday time and then you have an element you can use when you decorate your own cookies that you're going to bake. I think that's a great point that you could make it simple if you need to, and it feels very approachable, or it's a great kind of palette or medium where you can go all out if you want to as well. Yeah, you can, you can literally scale it to however you want. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen those boxes by the same people that do the pie box. They make the cookie box as well, and it's just four dividers, and, and it has like a really nice sliding lid. Something like that will be perfect if you didn't want to make your own. Um, but yeah, you really can go as simple as you want or, or as fancy as you like. Oh, I don't know what to say next. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at you. I'm like, I think he has something like really intense to say. But no. Okay. I think well, we're all just planning what cookie we're going to bake I this know. afternoon because we've gotten so fired up about it on the, on the interview. I know. <laughs> Every episode, like after, like normally just because of the time of recording, I'm like, I'm going to go exercise after. But then as soon as like we get into it, I'm like, I just want to go bake something. So it's really... I don't know if that's healthy or not, but it, it is what it is. So, <laughs> uh, And Friday afternoons are my baking. Like I finish work on Friday and I cannot wait to get home and get something baked on Friday afternoon. It is, And normally it's a cookie because the time involved is a lot less. And it is the perfect way to start my weekends. Like I love a Friday cookie baking in the kitchen. I love that. And I think that you just said something that I wanted to make sure we talked about how approachable cookies are. And at the holidays, like it's a great thing you can make with your loved ones. And that's part why we wanted to have you guys on and kind of do this group thing. Cause it's just so nice. Cookies are something you can gather around, bake with somebody, relax and makes the holidays, the holidays. Absolutely. And there's something for every skill level in the holiday cookie issue and, you know, just cookies in general, they're, you know, the beauty of a cookie stamp is it does the art and design work for you. And then the flavors shine and you get to take credit for something really innovative. And even just a slice and bake simple round cookie with amazing flavor can put a big smile on anyone's face. Well, I'm definitely smiling after an hour with you too. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you for having us. Thank you both. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Be sure to subscribe to Flower Hour on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you're enjoying your time with us, leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. Bye.